To begin, let's pray together. Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, I thank you for this time, this space, and this place that where two or three are gathered, there you are in the center and in the middle of us. And I pray today that you fill the space between us. Become more and more aware of your presence here with us. You are Emmanuel, God with us, and we invite you to make yourself known in a way that we can become increasingly aware of you, not just today, but throughout the rest of this week. In your name we pray, amen. So we're still here in Advent season. And Mike, I don't know about you, but my kids love (laughs) Advent calendars. I don't know if you had one when you were a kid or if you bought them for your kids. But the fun thing about Advent calendars is that anticipation of what's about to arrive or come. And every day you get to open um, a little box and look in it and there's a little, maybe a little toy or a little chocolate or a little reminder that um, Christmas is coming, that it's almost here. We're right um, on the edge of this holiday season where people are anticipating and they anticipate this and wait for this in, in various ways. Some people do it by going all out and hanging out at the mall all the time and shopping or maybe your your thumb's a little bit busy from your Amazon app <laughs> and the package is arriving at the door in preparation for the season. Other people go all out in preparing um, meals and food. And for some people, it's, it's a time of anxiety that that anticipation isn't a joyful thing, but it brings us a sense of, of anxious anticipation for what kind of arguments might break out around the Christmas table this year. Or, oh, if I get something for this person, but not for that person, will their feelings be hurt? And there can be all kinds of feelings that arise in us at this time of year. Maybe it's grief, realizing that someone's not going to be at that Christmas tree or at that Christmas table that we love. Someone who's passed this year or years previous. There's a time of reflection, a time of remembering a time of joy, maybe a time of peace, whatever this season looks like for you, whatever Advent and this waiting period has been like for you. We're going to look in the scriptures today at a truth, a truth that God reveals about himself that can help us during this time of Advent, this time of waiting, this time of anticipation, whether that anticipation feels positive or whether it feels perturbing. And so here we go. Let's jump in to Matthew chapter one. You know this story well. We hear it every year around this time, but I want to focus on it one principle in particular from it. Matthew chapter one, verses 18 to 25. It reads this. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. 
All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home to be his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. We see in here an allusion to the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. And this prophecy is in Isaiah 7, chapter uh, 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. This gift of Jesus, this gift of God with us, this gift of Emmanuel was a long-waited-for, a long-anticipated gift, more than the 24 days of Advent calendar opening. This was a gift of the Messiah in the beginning, right at the beginning, at the start, in Genesis. We see right after the fall that God, right away, He promises that the Savior will come. He says to Eve that she will have a lot of pain in giving birth, but that her child that she gives birth to will step on the serpent's head. The serpent will strike her heel, but he will be crushed. This is an illusion. This is a prophecy. The very first one, God himself promising a redeemer, promising a redemption, promising that from the womb of a woman will come one who will be able to undo that curse, who will be able to crush the serpent, the devil, evil's head. And we see here in Mary and in the birth of Jesus, another woman going to give birth and to the pain and the brokenness and the sin of this world that Adam and Eve and their decision and choice ushered in. We see her giving birth to a new Adam to start a new lineage, to start a new way, this Emmanuel God with us. C.S. Lewis says, quote, God cannot give us a happiness and a peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. How many times have we gone into this Advent season? How many times have we gone into Christmas Day and been looking and longing for peace, for joy, for togetherness, for a sense of belonging? How many times have our hearts thought, this is what I should be experiencing, and yet what we are faced with is the reality of this broken world, the struggles, the pain, the disconnection, the division, the anxiety. And sometimes our picture of a perfect Christmas It does not match with the reality of what we experience. And C.S. Lewis is pointing out here that we can never have this picture of peace, this picture of love, this picture of joy apart from God himself. God knew this. He knew this right at the beginning when Adam and Eve sinned and he calls forth that a redeemer will come. What Adam and Eve didn't realize is that that redeemer would be God himself. Charles Wesley, who's a famous hymn writer, the brother of John Wesley, the starter of the Free Methodist movement, he wrote a famous Christmas carol. 
And you often hear it, I don't know about anymore in Canada, but <laughs> sometimes we get to still hear these Christian um, carols playing in the malls or in our, on our car radio. And that is, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. There's one lyric in there particularly that stands out to me every year. And it's veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with us to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. God himself becomes the redeemer. God himself takes on all of our sin, all of our pain, all of our brokenness on that cross. And Christmas is the time where we celebrate that he comes in flesh. He could have come so many different ways. He could have announced his love for us in so many different ways. He could have sent us an email, hired a skywriter. He could have lined the stars up to spell, Jesus is here. I am God. And yet how he comes is so humble and so beautiful in the womb of a woman. Through the painful and messy business of birth in a stable unsterilized, extremely humble, surrounded by animals, not by kings, not by um, celebrities, not by um, the upper class, but a teenage girl and her husband having ridden there on a donkey after a long journey. This is how the Godhead arrives here into the world. This is how Emmanuel, God with us, arrives. The message there is that God is with us. God is with us in the humblest of circumstances, in the most broken of moments. God is with us. God can relate to us. Whatever you're going through, wherever you find yourself, you are not alone. God is has arrived on the scene. Emmanuel, God with us. This shall be his name, the angel told Joseph. This word Emmanuel, break it down into two parts. Eman, that means with us. And El being short form for Elohim, a name for God. Together, it is the with us, God. It is not this God who is so other and so far off. It is the God who breaks in to our situations. It is the God who is with us. John Wesley, the brother of Charles, who wrote Hark the Herald Angels Sing, it is rumored that he died with these words on his lips. The best of all is God with us. It really is the best of all. This God who became fully human, fully a man, 100% God, 100% human. This is the beauty and the mystery of the incarnation. That's what that means. That God veiled in flesh, we can now see. In John chapter 14, Jesus is talking to the disciples. And one of the disciples, Philip, asks him this question in verse 8. Philip says, Lord, show us the Father. That will be enough for us. I just want to see the Father. You keep praying to the Father, Jesus. You keep talking about Father God. Show, show him to us. Reveal him to us. And what does Jesus say? In verse 9, Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. 
How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe I am in the Father and the Father is in me? God with us begins with God. Jesus is 100% God. Jesus is God come to us. Philippians 2 makes this so clear to us. When we read, starting at verse 6, that Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has exalted him to the highest place and give him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. So Jesus came from glory, the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all God, Jesus comes from this place of glory with the worship, the angels worshiping him, crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We see this picture in Revelation. He has, he's worshiped, he's adored, he has unbroken communion and love in the Godhead. And yet he leaves heaven to come to earth, to show us the Father, to make a way back to himself through his own body, through the redemption that he bought on the cross, taking our sin, taking our punishment, taking our shame on himself. And this little baby that's born and placed in a manger will one day grow up to be a man who is then placed on a cross. He chooses this. He chooses to be our redeemer. No one takes my life from me, Jesus says, but I willingly lay it down. This is the God with us. The God with us, not just at our birth, but the God with us at our death and every mundane little moment, high and low in between. This God is with us. This God is the creator of the universe, the one who made the most majestic mountain and the one who made the most beautiful and delicate flower. This is the God who created all beauty that we have ever seen or will ever experience Every moment of deepest joy, this is the God who it is sourced from. We don't worship creation, but creation itself reveals to us who this God is, this God with us. Romans 1.20 tells us that ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Creation itself reveals the eternal qualities of God. This is the mighty God. This is the beautiful God. This is the powerful and wonderful and, and God who pays attention to every little detail, who's painted every sunset, who's placed every butterfly in its different color orientation upon every flower for us to view and enjoy. This God comes down to earth like a tiny baby. J.I. Packard, in his famous work, Knowing God, says, quote, The Christmas event of Christ's birth 
is where the profoundest and most unfathomable depths of the Christian revelation lie. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as is this truth of the incarnation, unquote. This incarnation, this God with us, this Emmanuel, this is better than the best movie plotline, than the most classic fiction. You think of the Superman story and you have Kal-El and he's coming from this other planet to save the world and rescue the world. That pales in comparison to the God of the universe, laying down his majesty and his glory and coming to be with us. So this is God, first of all. We have to recognize he's God. And secondly, that he is with us. He is with us. John chapter one, I love how John begins his gospel so much to mirror Genesis chapter one. So Genesis chapter one is in the beginning was God. In the beginning was God. And then John chapter one, he begins his gospel by saying the word in the beginning was the word and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So we have in the beginning God and then in the beginning was the word. This is the same God who has come in Genesis and then comes again in the gospels in John that we see. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Max Licato paints such a beautiful picture of what does this mean? That the God, the creator has now come to be with, to be with us. He says, quote, not the near us God or around us God or somewhere in the zip code God, but the with us God, the artist has become a paint drop on his own canvas. The potter become mud on his own wheel. God became a fetus and placed himself in the most normal of circumstances in the womb of a girl, unquote. I love that. The artist became a paint drop. The potter became mud on the wheel. Wow. And God became flesh. God became a fetus. When we think that he, the lengths he went to be with us, let's not take for granted what he's done. We see God revealing himself throughout scripture in various ways. In the Old Testament, the ways that God revealed himself were very other, <laughs> were very wild and mysterious and strange. In the Old Testament, we see in the book of Job, Job chapter 38, God coming as a whirlwind or tornado, a hurricane, this fearsome weather system. In Genesis 15, we see Abraham experiencing God as a smoking furnace moving throughout the air. For Moses and the children of Israel, we see this image of a pillar of fire in Exodus 13. That God appears as a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. He is to be reverenced, to be feared, to be awed, to be wondered at. He is completely there and present with them, but not necessarily so close and intimate that we see now in the New Testament with Jesus coming. We see in 1 Kings 8 that a glory cloud, so again, this imagery of fire and clouds, um, a glory cloud coming upon the temple, the Shekinah glory cloud, and, and all the people could not even go into the temple because of the fear of God that came upon them. 
Moses, it says he talked to God as a man talks to his friend. And yet even Moses, when he said, show me your face, God. God said, no one can see my face and live. And he shielded Moses in the cleft of a rock and he let his glory pass by him. And even that act caused Moses' face to light up like a light bulb, a bright shining spotlight. And it scared the people when they saw Moses' face shining just from that tiny um, passing by his back of God's presence and glory. And so it is in that context that God himself comes this context of people, of 12 disciples, of the people of that time, knowing God as completely other and being bewildered by the times that he, his presence did show up in tangible ways. And yet God comes in the most humble and intimate of form, perhaps the most mysterious and strange way of all, as a little baby. This is God with us. See, he's with us. He doesn't just come to those who seem to deserve it, as far as we're concerned. He comes to us, the ordinary us. <laughs> when you see in this in the the Christmas story, you know, and who's present in that story? It's the shepherds, the ones who are kind of considered unclean and um, the ones who didn't pass Hebrew school and weren't the most educated and weren't considered the most intelligent of their time. He comes to the shepherds. The angels come and, and declare Jesus' birth to the shepherds. And the shepherds come. And two years later, the wise men come. I know, shocking. They don't actually come to um, the manger scene, but it doesn't make for a beautiful picture. Um, but two years later, we have these wise men who are essentially astrologers who are looking at the stars and trying to make sense of what was going to happen. And yet there was a seed of faith in them that they wanted to know what was happening. And God was reaching out to those who were far from him. Those who were seeking and searching, but not knowing who or what they were seeking and searching for, he comes to them, the unsuspecting shepherds, the um, on-the-edge wise men. Notice who he doesn't come to, the palace. Although with the wise men's coming, Herod was given an opportunity. The wise men say to him, why, do you want to worship him too? He's like, oh, tell me when you find this king. Why, do you want to worship him too? There was an opportunity for Herod to humble himself and to worship Jesus. But he doesn't take that. He's trusting in his position and his power, and he's grasping and holding on to it with all of his ego. And he ends up um, slaughtering all those children under two years of age in order to try to find Jesus. And Jesus and Mary and Joseph escape to Egypt. And so we see that it is the most powerful in the land who are often rejecting Jesus from the very beginning. And it's often those who are the most vulnerable and the most powerless and the most outcast that glimpse part of this revelation that God is with us, pleased with us to dwell. And so here we find God with us, God with Mary and Joseph, God with them and all that they represent. And Matthew begins with Jesus's genealogy and family line. And sometimes we can get caught in the weeds of that and think, okay, skipping ahead, let's get to the good part. <laughs> let's skip to the good part, right? And it actually is the good part. Who do we see in Jesus's family line? Who does he come from? Not the brightest and the best necessarily. Not those who have it all together. He, he comes from a line of dysfunction. We see in this line a prostitute, Rahab, 
who hides the spies and God remembers her and her family. We see in this line, Ruth from Moab, that was an, she was an outcast. Moab was cut off. Moab was considered an unclean um, tribe uh, area. And yet Moab, Ruth is included in Jesus' family line. We see a victim of, uh, of horrendous assault and rape, Tamar. We see David, who, yes, a man after God's own heart, but also a man from dysfunction and brokenness and a father who struggled to raise his children, a man who commits adultery and then murder. We see these people from brokenness and sin all the way from Adam, all the way down until Jesus. This gives me so much hope. This should give us so much courage. This should bring comfort this Christmas season that Emmanuel, God with us, is God with us no matter where we come from. That he is God with us no matter how ordinary we may feel. That he is God with us. That he is God with us. He doesn't arrive like a Hollywood celebrity in a limo on Oscar night, opening the door, expecting applause and adulation, putting their best foot forward. He comes in these mundane moments. We know when he picks his 12 apostles and disciples, he picks them from, again, a cast of characters that we would never choose if that was our responsibility to choose who the Messiah would come from or who he would arrive to. And again and again, God is showing us that he is with us, not because of us, but because of him. It was him who first loved us. You know, there's some times in our life where it just doesn't feel like God is with us, does it? Where it's like, I get the intellectual concept that God is with me, but my felt and lived reality does not match that concept, that theological concept. Where is God? And we can have these questions in our heart and sometimes we're scared to verbalize them. Sometimes we're scared to think them. God is not afraid of your questions. God is not afraid of the pain that precipitates these questions. And God comes into the middle of these questions. If we look throughout scripture and we take it all in context, if we look at the book of Esther, God is so clearly with Esther when you read that book, so clearly with her. And yet not once throughout that entire book of the Bible do we hear God's name explicitly mentioned. And yet God shows up and he rescues his people. Sometimes the way God works, we might not directly or explicitly see him while we're in the moment. Sometimes we're so close to our reality and our pain feels so all-encompassing that it's so difficult to see God at work. And we might only see it in reverse. And we might only see it when we get to heaven and God may, uh, may allow us the grace to understand. But we can know this. That even when we don't feel it, God is with us. Even when we don't comprehend it, God is with us. Even when we don't see it, God is with us. Sometimes I wonder what it would have been like for Mary to look at that little baby that she had just given birth to. And he looked like all the other babies. You know, I don't think he had that little shiny halo <laughs> glowing around him. He was probably like every other baby, dirty and cold and naked and crying. And she could have said to herself, 
is this really God? And no one knew better than Mary that that was God with them, with her and Joseph, that that was God with Israel, that that was God with humanity. Nobody knew better than her. And yet I'm sure there were moments where that miracle of the incarnation seemed so ordinary that she had to have eyes of faith to perceive, to remember, to ponder that mystery. And so too do we, because sometimes God comes wrapped up in the ordinary things of life. And we need to pause and reflect and to ponder in our heart like Mary did. And to say, God, where are you at work in my life? Where are you, God, with me in my life? We look at Jesus's other relative, Ruth, and we see throughout the entire book of Ruth, God only mentioned a few times here and there. And yet, God's fingerprints are all over Ruth's life and her direction. It, it says she just happened to walk into this field that just happened to be owned by Boaz, that just happened to be a redeemer, that just happened, this happened, and this just happened. And sometimes in our life, good things just happen. And we can be tempted to think, I did that. <laughs> I'm so talented. I'm so great. I made that happen. I opened that door. Let's also pause and reflect, not just in sorrow, but in celebration. Where is God at work? What has God enabled us to accomplish? What has God granted us that we can be grateful for and celebrate? Let us ponder those things, the things that sometimes seem like coincidences or just happened. Where's God's fingerprints in those areas? We need eyes to see that God is with us. I love that whether God works in ways that are so direct and so explicit, or whether in ways that seem invisible to us, that he is still at work, that he is still with us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. There is no circumstance too ordinary or mundane for God not to be with you in. There is no circumstances too spectacularly good or terribly bad that God won't be with you in. God is with you in all things. Ignatius talks about having eyes to see, that discernment is having eyes to see God with us in all things. Do we have those kind of eyes to see? In their book, Prayer, Justin McRoberts and Scott Erickson write, quote, it seems that God not only abides in mundane things, but also dwells in them and does so gladly. It means he dwells in me and my work and my community, unquote. God is with us when we're doing laundry and it's piling up and we just would rather do anything but fold those clothes and put them away. God is with us when we're making dinner. God is with us when we get that phone call from the doctor's office we were dreading. God is with us when we're waiting to hear a report about a loved one. God is with us when we're outside our boss's office and we have anxiety in the pit of our stomach because we know they're doing restructuring and we don't know where we fit in their plans. God is with us. God is with us when we're anticipating and looking forward to the arrival of a new family member in our family. God is with us. God is with you. God is with me in all of life. God is with us in those moments where we're most ashamed of, 
that we don't want to remember or look back on that bring deep guilt and remorse and pain. God is with us. We don't have to be afraid to look at those things, to talk about those things, to revisit those things in safe places because God is with us. God is with us in celebration. God is with us as we um, gain a new year and we have a birthday party and we're celebrating or being celebrated. God is with us. God is with us at that funeral where we don't understand why this person's life has been lost. God is with us. And you know what? God is with us in all the mundane, ordinary moments in between those two high and low peaks. He is Emmanuel. He can understand. We are never alone. He will never leave us nor forsake us. God is with you. God is with me. And this Advent season, let us anticipate along with all the saints that have come before us that we need a Savior. And he is God, Emmanuel, God with us. So God, we thank you that you are with us and we pray that we would have the grace to acknowledge that, the grace to be aware of that, that you would help us to see with your eyes and to hear with your ears. Give us hands to receive this good gift of your presence abiding with us always. In your name we pray, amen.